subhanAllah, as I began to read this, I thought, the Lord has always wanted to retain man in fellowship. And the whole problem of sin was that it was sundered, that fellowship was broken, they had to go out of the Garden of Eden. Um, But he had a plan. And he said to Abraham, in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And the consequence of sin was going to be reversed. That separation from the Father was going to be reversed. In the meantime, God instituted a mechanism, a whole system of religious observance that was going to provide um, the... uh, A what? An interim uh, model of communion with man. And part of that was the priest, anointed of God to be a mediator between God separated from man, between God and man, the priest, not anyone, only one, and it was for life. That was the point I was going to say. It's for life. And so he was going to be anointed into this mediation so that the separated God and the separated man should have some uh, communion, some intercourse, that there should be some connection, pending the time that it was of rectification, when it was all going to be put right, the time that was coming in our, in our uh, verses. But it was that this priesthood, it wasn't a, just a job, it was for life. He was anointed to the priesthood for life. Verse 22, the priest and his sons that is anointed in his stead shall offer it. So when, when Aaron died, uh, it was the, the priesthood was to be passed on to his son. Now, so what does it mean then that Caiaphas was high priest that year? Well, apparently, so we're told, that when the Romans got involved and they were an occupied country, they didn't want a permanent seat of power. They were very threatened by that. So they said, oh, we'll let you have a high priest, but we're going to make sure we change him every couple of years. Um, And Caiaphas ended up um, doing the job for 11 years. So that's why it was relevant to say he was high priest that year. Whereas the Mosaic institution was, he's high priest for life, he's anointed for life. Um, The Romans said, oh, we can't have this permanent seat of power um, alternative to us. We're just going to make sure it's changed around. And it was Caiaphas for the 11 years during that whole time of the Lord's ministry. Caiaphas was high priest. So it was a, a degraded system and it was a degenerate man as we see from his words. But it was still God's ordained mechanism for communing with man. We mustn't forget that, that God had ordained that I'm, I'm going to put my name in Israel. I'm going to bring the Saviour through Israel and the priest in Israel that's anointed with a holy anointing oil, a symbol of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to commune with Israel through that, even though the whole thing is messed up. It was still the extant covenant between God and man. It was the best thing going, even though man had ruined it. And that's going to be relevant as we read what Caiaphas said. And I thought, um, I thought I'd mention this, that recently there was a wedding in the life of the Queen of Australia. One of her grandchildren was married. You may have heard about this. And, uh, but her 
she and, and they've taken she's an Anglican, she's head of the Anglican Church, and they've taken a lot of their religious practice from the Old Testament. You know, the man thing. They get a bit of a, a feel for the things of God, and they add a whole bunch of religion to it. Anyway, and part of the coronation service is just like this. She's a, she was anointed to do her job, and she took the oath to serve the people, and to uphold the law, no, to serve, and to, uh, within the law. I can't remember the actual words, actually. But part of it was to serve the people and to uh, do it within the law. But she's in there for life. She's 94, and she's not slowing down. She's Not that she, she is slowing down, but she's not giving up. She's not saying, I'm going I'm to retire now. It's the same idea. She, and I believe that, from what I, I can see, she meant it. She's serving, she's doing it as unto God. She's served her peoples in Australia and Canada and the United Kingdom. Uh, but the point is that it's for life. And that was what it should have been for, um, for Aaron. And now Caiaphas, however, was moved around because of the Romans. Now you'll note that all that was fairly irrelevant, but I thought it was quite nice to talk about. So we did. It's not, it's not irrelevant, it's just not central. So let's, but it, it is relevant in this just to remind us that the high priesthood, and even though the religious scene in Israel was corrupt and degenerate and spoilt, it was still the appointed, divinely appointed means by which God communed with man. That was it. Uh, But it was about to change. Okay, so that year, and John, in these verses, Three times says Caiaphas was high priest that year. What that year? At this seminal time, at this pivot point in the history of humanity. So we're going back to chapter four, verse forty-nine. One of them, Caiaphas, the high priest that year, said, "You know nothing at all." Apparently, the Sadducees were pretty rude. The Pharisees, they're a bit more um, cultured, apparently. But the Sadducees were pretty rough. They were rude. You don't know anything at all, he said. You haven't worked it out. This is what's best for you. This is an extraordinary thing. Let one man die for the people, rather than the whole nation being wiped out by the Romans. Astonishing wickedness. He knew that this man was of God. He knew that he was a just man. And for our purposes, he says, let one man die for the people. That's going to suit us. Rather than the whole nation get messed up by the Romans. What an astonishing thing. The high priest of God. Um, Let's read on. Verse 51. He didn't say this of his own accord. Since he was high priest that year, it was a prophecy. It meant that Jesus would die for the nation and not only for the nation but to gather into one the scattered children of God so from that day on they plotted how to kill him so the most astonishing thing it's, you might say it's a a divine irony it's the greatest irony that uh, 
his wicked heart, um, notwithstanding, his heart was opposed to his office. He should have been serving God and on God's side and promoting the interests of the things of God. And he'd set himself against God. Notwithstanding that, his wrong heart, which was against God, the Holy Ghost uh, accepted the dignity of his office. And he used him to prophesy. And his mouth, out of his mouth, came on the one hand his own condemnation. I am acting evilly. We're going to let one innocent man die for the sake of the people. And on the other hand came a prophecy of that greatest event in history. Everything was going to change. That one man indeed was going to die for the people. Extraordinary. And not only that, you haven't worked it out. He didn't say this of early accord since he was high priest that year, verse 51. It was a prophecy. It meant that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for the nation. Uh, Remember John's Greek hearers? He was always emphasizing that it wasn't just for the Jews, not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God. And can we just revise that those ideas of the scattered children of God? Uh, uh, chapter ten. Perhaps we we'll have chapter yeah, chapter ten, verse sixteen. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and my own know me. Verse fourteen. Just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep too, which don't belong to this sheepfold. Ah, I must bring them too. And they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Hallelujah. Do you... Can you confess to having been brought by Jesus? It's the only way a sheep gets into the fold, because Jesus brings it. There's a sheep. There were a hundred here, and one got lost. And he went out, and he sought out, he sought out the sheep, and he picked it up, and he carried it back into the, into the flock on his shoulders. Other sheep have I that are not of this fold, that I must bring as I began to read this again I thought what a wonderful blessing that we each of us can be assured that our hearts are moved because Jesus has been bringing us is that the testimony of your life let it, let, let it be the testimony let your, let your, your hearts recognise it that the story of your life is that Jesus has been bringing you why did it happen like that? Oh, Jesus was bringing me. Why did these things happen? Why is the why are these things eventuated? Because Jesus is bringing me. Because Jesus has been bringing me. Lord, thank you. We can rest in His goodness. But we can repose in His care. Uh, hmm. Thank you, Lord. Other sheep I must bring.
great activity of grace to take lost souls and to bring them oh Lord thank you for bringing me you know that's what God said to the Israelites when he brought them to Sinai he said I have carried you on eagle's wings I have brought you could you remember how he finished it when when he talked to them through Moses in early in Exodus on Mount Sinai I've carried you on eagle's wings I have brought you where? way back then even though it was remote and even though it was partial and even though it was external that I brought you to myself we get you know we, we're human beings we get confused and uh, we sometimes th- see things back to front and we get a very religious view of life but it's actually a bit simple Jesus is bringing me where is he bringing me? he's bringing me to himself he desires to live in fellowship with me. Uh, and, and he's been sent to put it right so that we can live in fellowship with him. Um, the priest was the, the centre of Israel because it was at, at the centre was the idea that I want these people to be in communion with me. They need a priest to make that happen. They, when there was a king, if there was a crisis, the, pre, the king went to the priest. We can think of David going to Abiathar and saying, shall I go up to the Philistines? Put on your ephod. And he consulted the priest who was in communion with God for an answer. It was it's all about, I want you back. I want you in fellowship with me. There's a mediator. You need, you're in sin, you need a mediator here he is, he's anointed with um, the holy anointing oil emblematic of the power of the Holy Ghost to get the connection going it's only external and it's only partial, but there's going to come a day where that connection is going to be real and complete and um, Jesus said, we'll get to this later on that I'll be in you and you'll be in me and the Father will be in you there'll be no need for any other external mediator anymore I'm the mediator and I'll be in you it'll never go away, you'll never be out of fellowship um, because it's I'm he and this is what's happening here it was coming that Caiaphas was prophesying of this impending alteration to the history of the universe to the history of the human race that no longer was there going to be any separation but that there was going to be a way made for man to enter into communion we get that in Samuel that, that verse if you go to early Samuel uh, if we can find early Samuel, chapter 1 um, Samuel ministered before the Lord being a child and he served Israel he judged Israel and you know where I'm going I think I might need a crib if I can find, just to save some time here Interesting. I want to find the bit when they were saying, Give us a king. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. Chapter 8. And it came to pass when Samuel was old, chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, verse 1, that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel, the name of the second, Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. And his sons 
walked not in the ways sorry, walked not in his ways but turned aside after lucre money and took bribes and perverted judgment then all the elders of Israel all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and Samuel was old, he was passing away came to Samuel unto Ramah and said unto him behold thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways now make us a king to judge us like all the nations God had never let them have a king they were never supposed to be like the other nations they were his possession he brought them unto himself I have carried you on eagles wings unto myself and he was judging them through Samuel but the thing displeased Samuel when they said give us a king to judge us and Samuel prayed unto the Lord and the Lord said unto Samuel hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee for they have not rejected thee do you remember this? but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt even unto this day wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods so do they unto thee also now therefore hearken unto their voice howbeit yet protest solemnly unto them and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them quite an interesting statement about statehood we're very conscious of our nations and statehood but it doesn't, it's not really very original it's not the original pattern the original pattern was families uh, answerable to God so he and so you might, it might be worth and Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people and asked then asked of him a king and said this will be the man of the king that shall reign over you he will take your sons and appoint them for himself for his chariots and to be his horsemen and some shall run before his chariots and he will appoint him captains over thousands captains over fifties and will set them and will set them to ear his ground or to plough his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots he will take your daughters to be confectionaries and to be cooks and to be bakers and he will take your fields and your vineyards and your olive yards even the best of them give them to his servants and he will take the tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give them to his officers and to his servants and he will take your men servants and your maid servants your goodliest young men and your asses and put them to his work he will take the tenth of your sheep and he shall and ye shall be his servants and ye shall cry out in that day because of your king which shall have chosen you which you have chosen you and the Lord will not hear you in that day but they didn't hear and they went ahead and the Lord said hearken unto their voice and make me think. point is uh, that all that, all those um, characteristics of statehood, they're never really central to humanity. It's all part of the fallen world. And you may remember in, in 1 John it says, all that is in the world is not of the Father. And so all that's kind of an alternative structure because men and women aren't walking with God he wanted to be in communion with them he said they rejected me from being king uh, hallelujah he hasn't cast us off you think that 
he might have gotten cross and become impatient and cast us off but the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth the sacrifice necessary to reverse the effects of sin to reverse the separation between God and man it was already done before earth was founded so that when there was that rebellion in heaven the answer was there the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth so that we could work up to this moment in time and the solution be brought into our hands so that the separation between God and man should be uh, undone and there should be a path back we used to sing a chorus when I was a child there's a way back to God for the dark paths of sin and all these are the dark paths of sin rejecting God and hallelujah other sheep have I that are not of this flock that I must bring he doesn't even leave it uh, to our ability he knows what he's dealing with what qualifies an individual as his sheep well we've had that a few times haven't we Um, a, a heart disposition to love him might not do it perfectly but there's something in the heart that is of truth I'm going to read those verses Uh, chapter 8 if I can find it of John's Gospel chapter 8 and verse 47 Uh, these will be by now familiar to you Verse 46 of chapter 8. Which of you can bring a charge of sin against me? Not a sound. If I speak the truth, why don't you believe me? And here's the answer. The one who is from God speaks God's words. That's why you don't listen. Because you're not from God. Astonishing. So, you know, we had this in chapter 3, the division of humanity into of light and of darkness. Folk disposed to truth, even though they were corrupt, disposed to truth and willing to respond to Jesus and those um, not. But in their hearts disposed against him. And I won't have truth. And I won't let myself be held accountable to the truth. Other sheep have I. They still need to be born again. As many as received him, to them gave he authority to become his children. Yeah? So, those, the ones that are of God are the ones that receive him. Yes, I know that I've got rebellion in my heart, but yes, I want truth instead. To as many as received him, to them gave he authority to become the sons of God and in the sacrifice of Jesus was opening a way for the children of God to become the sons of God born again you must be born from above and the way was being opened to make it possible oh Lord other sheep have I that I must bring oh Lord thank you for bringing me that's the, that's the story of our lives, isn't it? Jesus bringing us. 
he knows the kind of material he's got to deal with. Uh, he says, alright, you're my sheep, and I'm going to bring you, and I'm going to give you authority to become the sons of God. Yes, we're one of his sheep, and yet we've got to become something that we've never been yet. We've got to become born from above. So it's all, it sounds contradictory, but it's real. Uh, the concept of being of him, because we receive him, and yet not yet of him, because we haven't been born. It's alright. Uh, if you keep my commandments, we're coming on to it, it's so plain. If you keep my commandments, I'll come, I, I will come, and my Father will come and live with you. There's a quali- qualification. <laughs> He doesn't. Mm. Uh, he's, he's, he'll give us authority to become the sons of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> so we need to finish our passage, uh, chapter eleven. I just can't get over that—the wonder of that phrase, "other sheep that I must." Bring. Every one of us, Jesus picked up and carried and brought. Not our will, not our ability, not our goodness. His grace, his love, his care. Uh, I want to let him keep on bringing me, uh, however many years I've got left. I want that to continue to be the history of my life. That Jesus is still bringing me. We sang about it, didn't we? Um, in different words. That he saved us and he's saving us. It meant that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only. This thing was planned from the foundation of the world. This was the pivot of history. And all the separation and all the sin was finally going to be dealt with. And there's going to be a way to live without the sin and without the separation. It meant that Jesus would die. And not for that nation only, but to gather into one the scattered children of God so from that day on they plotted how to kill them kill him it was resolved there was no longer any doubt as to the consequence of and as to how they were going to respond the Jewish nation was resolved there was no longer any question we've got to kill him the only question now was how are we going to do it when how can we do it with the least fuss? And I want to read uh, that verse again to you from Matthew ch- chapter 21. Uh, you may want to turn there. 21, is it 38? Because Jesus said, this is in Matthew's Gospel, um, but it is from just this time. It's from seven days later. This was after, you remember the, the donkey and the hosanna and the palm leaves, Palm Sunday? Okay, this was in the days after Palm Sunday. What we're reading about is the few days before Palm Sunday. So in a few days, this is what Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees. 
um, about the vineyard owner, the householder who planted a vineyard. 21 Matthew, verse 33. He built a wall, dug it out. When the time for harvest came, verse 34, he sent his slaves to the farmers to collect his produce. They seized his slaves, the prophet. They beat one, they killed another, and they stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than before, more prophets. And we know what they did with the prophets. And they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. This is Jesus in the days following this. Just before the crucifixion. Finally, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said. But the farmers saw the son. This fellow's the heir, they said among themselves. Come on, let's kill him and we can take over the property. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now then, when the vineyard owner returns, what will he do to those farmers? He'll kill them brutally, the wretches, they said. And he'll lease the vineyard to other farmers who will give him the produce at the right time. Did you never read what the Bible says, said Jesus to them? The stone the builders threw away is now atop the corner. It's from the Lord, all this, they say. And we looked on in wonder. Verse 43. So then, let me tell you this. God's kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the goods. Anyone who falls from this stone will be smashed to pieces. And anyone it falls on will be ground to dust. Verse 30, 45. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was talking about them. Okay, so it was, it was all out. They knew exactly what was going on. They knew he was talking about them that they'd done these things. They tried to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowds who regarded him as a prophet. All right. So back to our chapter, and we'll just finish off. So from that day on, verse 53, they plotted how to kill him. So Jesus didn't go around openly any longer among the Judeans. It wasn't ripe. The time. He went away from there to the, to the region by the desert to a town called Ephraim. And he stayed there with his disciples. So he spent that time with his disciples about 15 kilometers away to the east perhaps to the north, to the northeast, in that direction, off toward the River Jordan. Um, nearby, desert place, quiet. He went there to be quiet with his disciples, just there. Limited. Um, get them ready for the storm that was coming. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. Uh, he was going to be taken away. Incidentally, um, they deserted him, didn't they? And they denied him. They let him go to his death by himself. There's one man there, John, um, we read. But the others, they let him go. Peter said, oh, I've never heard of him. Um, they, were, they were going to go through some very, very deep times. So Jesus was preparing them. Still he was bringing them. Did he condemn them for that? No, it was, he was still bringing them. He was still sheep that he was bringing 
interestingly, did Peter undergo any alteration, do you think? Of course he did. After he received the Holy Ghost, when he became a son, when all the old was passed away and all things had become new, it was the other end of the spectrum. He said, I, you can do what you like to me. I'm going to be faithful to Jesus. And in the end, they crucified him. We Tradition says, uh, Jesus was still bringing him. And part of the bringing was to take them away and be quiet with them for a while before this crisis. Before, they, they didn't have the equipment in themselves to deal with the crisis. He said, Father, I'm, I'm going away. I've kept them while I've been here. Um, keep them. And then he was going to come back to them and never to leave them. He was going to come and live in their hearts um, as he lives, as he intends and requires that he wants to live in our hearts. Never to leave us. So then it's all right. Then they're safe. Then, Peter, he could go go anywhere. Yep, I'll tell you the truth and take the consequences. You want to kill me? Great. Um, I'm for Jesus. Different. But there was that interim period. Jesus was still bringing them. They were looking, okay. So he stayed there with his disciples. The time came for the Judeans' Passover. Okay, this is the end game, isn't it? As it were. No, no, it's the beginning. You understand, it's the end of his earthly ministry. So, verse 56. The time came for the Judeans' Passover. Lots of people went up to the city, Jerusalem, from the countryside before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus. Okay, so it was all on. The news was out. They were looking for Jesus. As they stood there in the temple, they were discussing him with one another. Just like they'd done earlier on. Do you think he's going to come up to the feast? Is he going to come? I don't know. Why would he miss it? They were looking for Jesus. As they stood there in the temple, they were discussing him with one another. What do you think they were saying? Do you suppose he won't come to the festival? Finally, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they, their decision had resulted in a resolution. They had given the order, the word had gone out. If anyone knew him, where he was, they should tell them so that they could arrest him. Let us take the son and kill him and then the inheritance will be ours. If you see him, you tell us on pain of trouble from us so that we can lay hands on him, arrest him. Amazing. Uh, Our brother was talking to us about how God intended it for good. Uh, And the Lord's able to bring to work all things together for good for them that love him and accord according to his purpose. Just to say that this is appalling evil. Appalling evil. And yet, out of the appalling evil... It was Caiaphas' job, by the way, you realise it. It was Caiaphas' job to offer a sacrifice, the, the atonement, once a year for the people. While there was a temple, the Day of Atonement, for the sin of the people. That was his job. They did it with um, the blood of goats and lambs. This time, by his word, Caiaphas had decreed the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, hadn't he? He said, we've got to kill him. That was his job, actually, to offer the sacrifice. 
So we've got this strange mix of wickedness and divine ordination. It was the wickedness of Caiaphas's heart and the wickedness of the Judean's heart, and yet it was divinely appointed. Remember Joseph said that? They meant it to me for evil, but God intended it for good. Do you remember Joseph to his brothers? They were getting a bit worried when their dad died. They thought he's going to come for us. He said, no, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And do you remember that in Acts as well? If we just go to uh, the second chapter, and we'll close. Um, you'll remember this, I expect. I know you will. That strange thing that God made Satan the very instrument of his own defeat. It was the wickedness of those hearts that God used to resolve the sin and humanity issue and to reverse it all and to finish the, re- the reign of Satan. Yeah. The Father used wickedness to bring salvation. Here it is. The wickedness and corruption of a degenerate system and degenerate hearts he used to bring blessing to every family on earth. In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In the sacrifice shall all the families... How did it happen? Through wickedness. Doesn't that make the eternal father so much greater than evil? That he can even gather up the evil machinations of Satan and turn it to good. Let's just read that in Acts chapter 2. So you know it's not just some loopy preacher saying something. I'm looking for the verse that we want. You people of Israel, Peter continued, he's, they had to give some account of what was going on the day of Pentecost. They said, ah, oh, they're all drunk. They said, they're not drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. And he goes on to explain what's going on. So verse 22, we'll cut straight in here. You people of Israel, Peter continued, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man marked out for you by God through the mighty works signs and portents which God performed through him right here among you as you all know no argument there he was handed over in accordance with God's determined purpose and foreknowledge God's purpose God's foreknowledge he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world there was no surprise here God intended it he was handed over by God's determined purpose and foreknowledge God purposed that his own heart should be torn torn apart God the Father purposed that the Logos should be separated from him and baptized into sin and baptized into death he purposed that he never deserted his creation never deserted us he took ultimate responsibility for things that for evil that he did not invent but he provided the solution and it was his determined purpose that the lamb slain from the foundation of the world should be slain in time Okay, so that's the first point it was God's purpose eternal decree 
he was handed over in accordance with God's determined purpose and foreknowledge and you you people outside the law to nail him up and kill him and the old version says and you through wicked hands have killed him how is that work? how is it that the wickedness of Satan um, incorporating human action as well is used to serve the divinely appointed purpose and bringing you nothing can stand in his way nothing can pervert his will nothing can withstand his purpose hallelujah we have a need to worship him and to fall at his feet and say amen be it unto me according to thy will what a what a lovely prayer to have in our hearts that was Mary wasn't it be it unto me according to thy will who's sufficient for these things we haven't got yet we haven't got an idea in our head as to what to do, how to live our lives how to save our lives how to get it sorted out how to we haven't got an idea we haven't got a hope but we can fall on our knees and say to him father be it unto me according to thy word go on doing your bringing to me Uh, let's just pray for a minute shall we